The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. Today, my guest is going to have a chat about cryptocurrency. He has a specialist angle on it, but I wanted to get clarification on what it's all about as well. But first, a bit about who you're listening to. Guy Clapperton, a technology journalist with 30 years experience. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books, or seen me in The Guardian, Intelligence Sourcing Magazine, and elsewhere. I go to a lot of conferences and hear experts talking about their forecasts about the decades to come. I'd rather use my 30 years experience as a commentator to discuss what's likely to happen later this year, early next, and the action we need to take now. So I came up with the Near Futurist name. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk, where you'll find more examples and information of what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or MC for your technology event, do have a look at the show reel on the site and drop me a line, guy at nearfuturist.co.uk. That's nearfuturist as one word. Or get in touch with my agent, whose details are, of course, also on the site. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download from. And if you're new to the show, of course, you're very welcome. That's more than enough about me. My guest today is Chief Operating Officer of Cryptarium. From his LinkedIn profile, which I hope you won't mind me lifting, he's an experienced, results-proven financial services CEO with a particular focus on building insurance businesses in developing markets. There, he's successfully built companies with a current valuation in excess of $500 million, most recently in Russia, as well as other non-insurance sector management roles, including Chief Executive of Russia's largest internet sales employment platform, Workal, and a wide range of fintech startup C-level positions, including Cryptarium, the world's first digital crypto bank. Austin Kim, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. Now, let's start with the basics. I've obviously heard a lot about crypto, and I know what a bank is, and you're the world's first crypto bank, but perhaps you could start off with the real basics and explain cryptocurrencies for the listener. Cryptocurrencies, the word crypto is a little bit difficult for people to get that hand, hand around, but even the word currency, most people actually get wrong. Currency to most people means money, but money and currency are actually not really the same thing. Money is a physical commodity that has an intrinsic value, whereas the money that you and I spend today, currency, is usually backed by absolutely nothing. So when we spend a dollar or when we spend a pound, we spend it in the belief that it has a value, but underneath it, there is no real value. Once upon a time, it used to be backed by gold or silver or other precious metals or gems, but nowadays, is not by, by anything. And therefore, currencies are completely within the control of a central government. So the UK government has a, a monetary policy that determines how much money we will have in flow, ultimately what the interest rate is for the banks to control, um, to um, borrow it, to in turn to lend it to us, etc. And different countries have different policies. Cryptocurrency, on the other hand, is completely outside of that domain. There is no central government that determines how much cryptocurrency there is or what it is. It is set by a set of rules and procedures. Often, you know, there's a a complicated phraseology like encryption techniques and nodes and all that type of stuff, but that doesn't really matter. What we need to understand is there are a set of rules and procedures about a currency that, similar to the currencies we have today, doesn't have an intrinsic value backed by anything, but that currency is created on something called the blockchain, and it's mathematically created in line with an agreed formula. It is outside any control. That formula cannot be changed. 
So we know exactly how much currency there will be at any one time and how much there possibly can be in the future. And that in turn determines its value rather than a government deciding its value at a whim. So what problem are you fixing exactly with, uh, yeah, so not you personally, obviously, but what problem is cryptocurrency and its advocates seeking to fix? When you are within the control of a government or any individual entity that determines exactly what cannot be done with money, it puts all sorts of restrictions on people. So right now, if you want to get a bank account, of course, it's very easy to get a bank account for you and me because we've got all the necessary home addresses and all those type of details. But there's millions and not billions of people out there who cannot get bank accounts. When you cannot get a bank account, you then can't use the internet for shopping. You can't have electricity coming into your house on a direct debit basis every single month. So we are trying, not Cryptarium itself, but the, the new world of cryptocurrency is trying to fix this that says everybody should have the same opportunities with money and it shouldn't be within the controls of one individual regulator or individual government. So that means, for example, let's pick a country, Venezuela. Venezuela is in the market quite a lot, right? In the, in the news quite a lot right now. Because the currency is effectively collapsing, they're issuing bigger notes every single day. Venezuelans, they don't want their local currency. They want to get their hands on dollars or euros. The people who have dollars and euros don't want to sell it. I mean, they, they wouldn't want to exchange those dollars and euros for the Venezuelan currency. So all of those people, first of all, they've got a currency that has no significant intrinsic value. They can't exchange it. And then Within the country, there will be thousands, if not millions of people that don't have a bank account anyway to put their money into. So they'll be working in cash and desperately running around the streets trying to change that money. All they need, if there was a new type of currency that was a global currency, a global currency of Bitcoin has the same price in Venezuela as it does in Japan, as it does in the UK. If they had access to a global currency on a mobile phone that they could send to anybody at any time, then that whole problem that they are facing as their daily lives is almost fixed. The biggest problem at the other end of the equation is whether somebody will accept a Bitcoin as currency. And that's one of those sort of chicken and egg scenarios. You can create a currency and tell people that it exists. And Venezuelans may rush out to um, obtain that currency. But if you can't spend that currency, then you've still got a problem. And that's sort of the phase we're in right now. The currency has been created. It has a very strong technology. People are starting to move in towards it, but the actual spending of it is still quite difficult. Which I imagine is one of the areas that you'd come in. It does sound to me as though what this really is crying out for is a banking infrastructure behind it, so you can get your card, so you can get your uh, current accounts or checking accounts, whatever else you need. But you, you, you describe yourself, uh, Cryptarium, your company, you describe Cryptarium as the first cryptocurrency bank or bank for cryptocurrencies, or perhaps I shouldn't tell you how you describe your company, I should leave it to you. So why does it need a specialist bank? Why, why aren't the existing banks stepping in? The existing banks will step in, but it's like anything that is brand new. The existing institutions have so much at stake with the existing world order that things like cryptocurrencies, there's something that they monitor with interest, but won't, of course, change their existing uh, business model to suddenly adapt to. And I think, let's give an example. Western Union, I have nothing particularly against Western Union, but let's think of what the Western Union's business model is. Their model is to effectively send money across the world 
for people with relatively low incomes, maybe migrant workers, maybe illegal workers in some countries, and they have to send money home to their friends and their family, and they're abroad earning money while they are feeding their family back in India or Mexico if you're, you know, if you're in the United States or whatever. Now, Western Union will charge anything as much as, say, 10% for that transaction. You go in with $100, the guy at the other end is waiting to get his $100, but only get $90 because there's such a, a large fee. How does Western Union adapt its business model into a cryptocurrency age where with the simple press of a mobile phone button, I can send the equivalent of $100 of Bitcoin to that same person in the other country. And if they were able to spend it immediately, then they don't need the Western Union service at all. And banks make billions and trillions of dollars every single year on transactions which are going cross-border in different currencies. The average person, when he goes out shopping on holiday, he uses his credit card. He's getting actually charged several times. He gets charged at the point of transaction for a conversion. Then he'll get charged for an international transaction fee. Then he may also have a, a further fee by, from his card issuer. The person doesn't actually realize it, but maybe that product that cost $100, um, when he bought it in euros, actually cost him effectively $105, $106. So banks are making trillions of dollars in, in the payment industry. The other part of it, of course, is they make trillions of dollars of, of money just from everyday transactions. If you go into a supermarket and you pay with your credit card, it might be free to you if you pay off your bill at the end of every single month and you don't think about it. But the merchant is paying a considerable fee for that. And depending on how big the merchant is, they may pay as much as even as much as four or five percent. So if you're a small merchant, to have a Visa terminal, to have a MasterCard terminal, you might have a four or five percent of your total transaction being taken out through the process. So banks have such a vested interest in the existing world order that the idea of cryptocurrency is something that they have to have a look at, they have to look at blockchain, they have to look at cryptocurrencies, but it is not in their immediate best interest to try and change it. So you will end up with startups like Cryptarium that say, well, how do we change the way the world is operating today? And that is often in various stages. So the first stage is the stage that Cryptarium is at right now. We have to somehow work with the existing world order. You can't just go straight against it and say, right, we are going to create a brand new payment model that every single merchant on the planet will accept. Because it took Visa and MasterCard, what, 50 or 60 years to get to the position that they are today with, with terminals in every single shop. So phase one of a transition is usually how do you merge two technologies together. So you've got the old world payment network, you've got the new payment um, infrastructure coming in place. But to start off with, probably they both have to work together. Then phase two happens where some of the, let's say, the more adventurous um, companies or those with a little bit more capital to, to take a risk will say, we don't need the banks at all. What if we create our own payment solution that doesn't need a bank, it doesn't need MasterCard, it doesn't need Visa at all? And we're going to see that type of thing coming out in the next few days, next few months, with things like the Facebook coin, rumored to 
to have an announcement later this week. Uh, maybe the, by the time this pod comes out, there will have been announcements. And they're saying, we don't need banks. We can take complete control here of the payment process. Don't you actually need to be the size of Facebook before you can say something like that? I mean, everything you just said to me sounds logical, but it also sounds logical that you've given the banks a very good, very logical set of reasons not to cooperate with you in a million years. Because if you can't get past stage one, then you can't get the get to stage two, which is where you don't actually need the banks anymore. Yeah, that's a very good point. So the cryptocurrency as a currency was created approximately 10 years ago, just over nine years ago. And it's taken, let's say, six or seven years before there were enough users for companies like Cryptarium to be created and say, well, there's enough potential owners out there now. What, what if we could start to service them? Now, Cryptarium's battle to start off with was how do we work with the existing order? And that, that is, if we're being um, simple about it, is, is controlled by Visa, MasterCard, UnionPay, American Express, etc. So if we want to use a payment card, there are very few payment cards on the planet today that is not one of those sort of big, big players. So if you want to issue a payment card that has access to Visa's network, and the best way I think of describing this is Visa, MasterCard, UnionPay, they created a road system for money to transfer along it. And if you want to use that road system, you have to pay a toll. Now, they've decided at the beginning, you can't even pay a toll. You're not going on our roads. We don't trust this. Eventually, they start to see that there is 130 million people now with this particular currency. And there is so much activity taking place that we have to start to experiment a little bit. So it was a sort of a swell of activity that said, Visa said, okay, we'll experiment a little bit. MasterCard, as far as I'm aware, are still not um, prepared to let anybody with a cryptocurrency use its network, but Visa is open to it. Then on the other side of the equation, the merchants still not yet ready for cryptocurrency. So what that means is to start off with, you have to do a conversion process. So you have to get the permission of a Visa to say, look, there's 130 million people out there now with cryptocurrency. They'd like to start to use your network. They open it up and say, okay, on a selected basis, we will allow you to start to use our network. But then the merchant says, I'm not going to start pricing in Bitcoin. I'm not going to start pricing in Ether or Litecoin. There's too many of them. I don't know what to do. So you end up with a conversion process. You end up with sort of a mixed bag. You've got cryptocurrency being transacted at one end of the equation using a fiat currency or the, let's call it the existing currency um, networks owned by Visa and MasterCard. And at the other end of the equation, you've got the merchant saying, I actually don't want cryptocurrency. Can you give me dollars, please? So you've got quite a convoluted process taking place. But whilst that process is taking place, there is still more and more announcements taking place every single day. And as the swell of activity increases, so will the access to the existing network. So they just won't be able to resist the opportunity that is out there. I was keynoting for a fintech company a couple of weeks ago, and one of the questions that came up with was whether I would be prepared to invest in cryptocurrencies. Now, as an independent commentator, I wouldn't invest in anything that compromised my objectivity. I mustn't have a vested interest in the success or failure of anything like that. But what, what should people's answers be in general? It sounds to me from your, what you're saying as if it's a growing area and it may well be a good time for investors without pretending this is formal financial advice because that's regulated. Yeah, of course. Now, I... I'm in the game of how to turn 
let's say what you would call an investment opportunity into an everyday um, spending um, currency. And I personally do not invest in cryptocurrencies. I have a lot of my sort of vested wealth, I suppose, connected to cryptocurrency because I work in cryptocurrency. But I try not to look at cryptocurrency as an investment. I look at cryptocurrencies, what was it created for? And it was created as a means of currency exchange, monetary exchange. And that's eventually where it will settle. So it may take a while to get to that point where Bitcoin today is 9,000 and tonight it's 9,001. So there is a natural movement of, of pricing. We're still a way away from that. So I would personally be saying to people, only invest in cryptocurrency if it is a part of a diversified portfolio. You really understand a little bit about what you're investing in. Because it's not designed as an investment tool. It is designed as a monetary exchange. And ultimately, it will find an equilibrium. And that equilibrium might be half the price of what it is today, or it might be 10 times the price of what it is today. And if I was able to work out what it was, then you know, I'd be a genius. So I would say to people, work out that this is money. And really, if you would go out and buy euros, if you know enough to, should I invest in euro? If you know enough about currency markets to say, yes, euro is going to increase in value in the next few years, okay, then invest in euro. And you should be looking at cryptocurrencies in that same light. Do I know enough about this currency to understand if it's going to go up or down? and do it as part of a diversified portfolio. But I personally, I do not speculate in this market because I like to treat it like a money, like it with any other type of money. On the other hand, it doesn't behave like other money because of something that you raised a little earlier. Uh, I'm passing through an airport uh, this evening and there will be items priced in duty-free shops in euros, uh, maybe in dollars and in pounds. There's never been, and I'm not aware of anybody planning to uh, have any shops out there, any retail uh, areas where there, things are priced in Bitcoin or in any other sort of cryptocurrency. So you're still up against that thing that, you know, if things aren't priced in it. I, I, I still don't think it's really behaving like a currency, is it? Yeah, I think that's very fair. But I also think what you said is, um, is important. It's priced in dollars or euros, maybe pounds, maybe yen. Um, but it's not priced in, say, um, the Chilean peso or whatever the Chilean currency is. My, my knowledge of whatever that's called is, is lacking. But you will go around many international airports and they have a, their own local currency, but everything is priced in dollars or euros because they are stable currencies and they, the uh, merchant has to know pretty much exactly how much he's going to get for a transaction. So the whole world works towards dollars and euros and to a lesser degree sterling and a few other currencies. Bitcoin has still a long way to go to break into that space. So that's why in the interim, Something called stable coins has been created. Now, I don't want to digress too much, but what a stable coin is, is a cryptocurrency that is linked to one of those stable currencies that you've just mentioned. So what many people are doing is they're converting their um, prices into, um, let's say, dollars or euros, but you can still use a cryptocurrency that is pegged to a dollar and a euro to make a transaction. Now, that might sound not a very big deal, but it is actually a big deal because I can transfer a cryptocurrency from me to you in the press of a button. 
And the fact that that cryptocurrency I send to you cannot actually change in value because it is pegged to the price of a dollar is actually a very big thing because it means I don't have to use the Visa system or, or the MasterCard system to do that. I can use the blockchain technology. So there are solutions that are being created to try and, let's say, fix that problem of the variable rate. But eventually, I do believe eventually, you, we will see two or three currencies which are incredibly stable. And again, the Facebook, I mentioned it again, because it is rumored that their currency will be pegged to a basket value of more traditional currencies. So the Facebook digital currency that they will create, which will be a cryptocurrency, will have a very, very limited variation in value. So if you are being paid in a Facebook token, it would be almost the equivalent of being paid in, say, a dollar or a euro. But the difference is you do not need to go through the banks and their exorbitant charges to make it happen. You can do it inside their existing technology that they are building to enable that to happen. And uh, you're doing something, I understand, at Cryptarium to actually help facilitate uh, some of this. So tell me about uh, your new launch. Going back to this question that you asked me before, you have to work with inside the existing sort of infrastructure and Visa and MasterCard, et cetera, are a little bit reticent to sort of adapt that new technology. Now, Visa is experimenting, et cetera, but they are still very much a regional-based environment. So Coinbase, which is one of the biggest um, players in this space, they issued a Coinbase Visa card, but it is only for UK citizens that are located in in the UK. They can use it outside the UK, but you have to be a UK citizen. Now, we adopted a different approach because we don't believe that you should have such a regional approach. What that would mean in the cryptocurrency space is we would have to have a local agreement with Visa in Venezuela and a local agreement with Visa in the Philippines, a local agreement, et cetera, with every single marketplace. Incredibly time-consuming, incredibly frustrating for the user base. We did a partnership with UnionPay. Now, for your listeners who might not know who UnionPay is, UnionPay is the equivalent of Visa for China. They are potentially, you could argue, even bigger than Visa um, because of the size, of course, of the Chinese population. So Visa has a regional approach. UnionPay doesn't. Well, they do. They have China and everywhere else. So we did an agreement with UnionPay to be allowed to issue UnionPay cards to anybody anywhere in the world. Now, we still have to understand who that customer is. We still have to do a a know your customer process to make sure that the person we're issuing the card to is is the person they say they are, where they live, et cetera. But it means that we can service the, the Venezuelan or the Chilean or the Brit or the American all at the same time. So it gives us instant access on a global level. So anybody who has the desire to um, have cryptocurrency and then to be able to spend cryptocurrency and not just treat it like an investment asset. By having a Cryptium Union Pay card, anywhere Union Pay is accepted anywhere on the world, they can now use the card, whether that's an ATM or, or at a, a retail store. And we believe we're the only company in the world that can do that right now. How long is it going to take before these things uh, become mainstream? Because, I mean, okay, you may well have the first card. I don't have the specialist knowledge to uh, say yes or no to that, but it sounds likely. You know, the fact that there is the first one means there will probably be the second one, but there isn't yet. So what else has to happen? And uh, do you have a sort of timescale on when this stuff is going to become commonplace? Yeah, I think the timescale is actually right now. So we can issue cards to anybody who has a, a smartphone. 
Uh, smartphones, once upon a time, everything cost $1,000. You can pick up a smartphone now for $50. You know, dollars. Okay, it might not be very good, but it will have the basic materials that to, to be able to make a transaction from a digital wallet. So where we are right now is we can issue the cards to anybody who has, has access to, as I say, a smartphone. Part of the problem for customers is how to buy cryptocurrency in the first place. That's actually something I don't want to, to go into, but it's not that easy to buy cryptocurrency because you then need a bank account again. So, you know, we're actually in a bit of a vicious circle here. How do I buy cryptocurrency if I don't have a bank account in order to make a transaction? So there are solutions to that problem as well, but I'm not going to go into that. So I think we're at the phase now where pretty much anybody who is in cryptocurrency for whatever reason has an ability to spend the cryptocurrency. Merchants don't really care because at the moment we're transferring that money into the, the currency of their choice, whether that's dollars or euros, so the merchant doesn't really care right now. And I think probably in about two years' time, you will start to see merchants saying, well, we're quite happy to take a stablecoin transaction and miss out the visa and the network charges that they currently face. And probably within, say, four years, you could see some currencies disappearing completely and cryptocurrencies almost replacing them. Final question, then, where can people find out more about you and your organization? Okay, that's uh, very simple. Our company name is Cryptarium and we have the .com. Um, so it's Cryptarium.com. And if the person has a very specific interest in how to get their hands on a Cryptarium payment card, then you could just go cards.cryptarium.com. Um, and that's pretty much got all the information in there. Austin Kim, Chief Operating Officer of Cryptarium. Thank you very much for joining me. Okay, thank you very much, Guy. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. I'll be back in two weeks' time as always. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk. See you in a fortnight. Music.